Hey, if you're enjoying this show, uh, consider supporting us on our Patreon. You can get cool perks like access to these episodes a week before they go public, and you can pick an album for us to review. Any support is greatly appreciated, so if you feel inclined, go to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. You're listening to Polyphonic Press, a podcast for music lovers. Join your hosts, Jeremy Boyd and John Van Dyke, as they take a deep dive into a classic album and analyze it track by track. Hi, welcome to Polyphonic Press. I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. And uh, basically, if you don't know how this show works, uh, we review albums and we have no idea what album is going to come up. So uh, let's go ahead and hit the button and see what album we're going to be listening to this week. All right. So uh, here we go. The album we're going to be listening to this week is Alice Cooper's Love It to Death. Mm. I don't know this album. Um. Mm. I'm guessing it's from the 70s. I would imagine so. 1971. Okay, oh. so this is uh, Love It to Death. So, uh, Love It to Death is the third studio album by American rock group Alice Cooper. So, that's an interesting thing. Alice Cooper was the name of the band Yeah. before... Alice Cooper took over and became Alice Cooper. Hmm. Like the the guy Alice Cooper. Yeah. So he I think he was like I think he's it's it gets confusing. He's in the band but the band is also called Alice Cooper. Well, his if um, that makes sense. But like the the name of um, the band was Alice Cooper. Right, but what was his name before? I don't know. I think he went by Alice Cooper, Good but it was also the name of the band. Fine. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know. I, I gets confusing. Um, but anyway, so uh, so it's the uh, third studio album uh, produced by Bob Ezrin, who is a became a very famous um, rock producer. He produced um, Destroyer by Kiss, and he produced uh, The Wall by Pink Floyd, mm. and a whole bunch of uh, stuff. But this was when he was relatively unknown. He made his name by producing Alice Cooper, um, his Canadian producer. And I think this might have been recorded in... No, it was recorded in Chicago. Uh, so Alice Cooper's real name is Vincent Fernier. Um, which is a less cool name than Alice Cooper, I think. Uh, co-formed hmm. the Earwigs. Uh, so this is the background on him. So the um, so so the singles the the big single from this album is "I'm 18," which is a one of his probably one of his best known songs. I think this was the album that uh, really kind of broke through for them. Yeah. Um reading so love it to death is seen as one of the foundational albums of the heavy metal sound along with contemporary releases by black sabbath black sabbath led zeppelin deep purple and others a review by are in uh, british magazine melody maker called it an album for the punk and pimply crowd mm-hmm. uh a few years before punk rock became a phenomenon, uh, pioneer punk band The Ramones found inspiration in Alice Cooper's music and Love It to Death in particular. Interesting. Um, I think so, you could also say it, you know, there's elements of glam too. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. uh, I think Alice Cooper was one of, if not the first, um, people in rock to really make a big production out of a concert. Um, I know kiss kind of was a few years after I think, but uh, Alice Cooper really took it to, you know, having like sight gags and uh, really made it more of a show yeah. rather than just, you know, playing music, which is kind of cool. Um, 
All right, so let's get into the album. The uh, first song on the album is called Caught in a Dream. So uh, let's hear it. definitely had um some glam elements in there which i was i don't know i i always saw glam uh glam rock is more of a british thing um well you know it, it wasn't strictly a british thing i mean the new york yeah. dolls are that's true new york so you know <laughs> yeah um no i was gonna go back to when you were mentioning um uh visual gags and stuff and i'm thinking you know uh, visual gags i mean they've been around for a little while before this too i mean um my That's... you know um jim that my dad played with jim wayner mm-hmm. uh back in his in the tombstone days in the 60s they would bring him out in a coffin mm-hmm. You know, and then he would start singing as soon as they opened the coffin. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, they were definitely around, but I think what Alice Cooper did with it was made it, like, the whole show was that. Yeah, I guess. Kind of thing, okay. you know? He did, he made it more of a, he always says he, he made it more of a, like, a vaudeville act than a mm. music thing. Gotcha. With the, you know, the guillotine and the right. snakes and, and all that kind of stuff. All those. He actually. Do you know? Um. Do you know who James Randi is? That I don't think so. He's um. He's a, a magician. Okay. Uh. Who he influenced like uh, a whole bunch of people. He's a skeptic. Um. You know. Uh, Trying debunking like you know mediums and people okay. taking advantage of you know people like that and you know talking to the dead kind of stuff. But he's he was also known as a musician, and he actually helped Alice Cooper put together his show. Mm, okay, which is pretty cool. So yeah, he's uh, making sure no one actually loses their head with the guillotine. And- yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, you know nobody likes a lawsuit. Nope. <laughs> um. And I think this is the album where that kind of started, um, the, the, that big show. Um, I think, uh, or at least they had the, uh, I think the idea, and, and you know, it's funny, Alice Cooper always talks about um, how all the parents of the kids really, you know, didn't like, they were scared by Alice Cooper and, and uh thought he was like a devil worshiper and and all that you know kind of panic that parents had in in the 70s and it's funny it's because because it it was like a vaudeville kind of thing all the old um like comedians and stuff would go to the show like george burns and and um you know the marx brothers they all loved alice cooper because they were he was like kind of bringing that kind of style back mm. and but but all, uh wrapping it up in this like spooky kind of thing but uh which scared the parents <laughs> it was funny it's like yeah well but the the people that the 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 entertainers that the parents were um into were into alice cooper <laughs> yes exactly yeah. so it's, I thought that was funny. It honestly works that way. Like, um, that was honestly not that uncommon. I mean, when um, the Who were on the Smothers Brothers and they blew up the set, basically, mm-hmm. you know who was cheering them on? Mickey Rooney. Oh, yeah. 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 He, he thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, they, they uh, I think entertainers... At least the old school entertainers, they saw the value of putting on a great show and, you know, they, they, they all got it. They all knew what the business was and they knew that it was, you know, it wasn't anything to be afraid of or it wasn't devil worshiping. It was just a show, (laughs) you know, know, that's just all it is. But, uh, 
Yeah, I just thought it was funny that the the parents were scared, but the you know the entertainers that the parents were into loved all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm for as far as the song goes, uh, nothing. I, I like the two guitar solos. I think the two guitar players trading off solos was kind of cool at the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, it was it was. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say it was a basic rock song but it was just you know it was uh it definitely had that um glam sort of um production quality to it yeah the uh the vocals had sort of a uh what would you call that on it um it's not like a delay but it's like a like double tracked vocals maybe might be like a double track i'm thinking if it's a reverb it's like the reverbs turned way down though yeah so like that like really just dry so it it, it's not dry it's just um it has some presence to it yeah. but it's not overpowered with exactly. reverb yeah yeah room tone i guess hmm. yeah yeah i kind of know what you mean i i wasn't really paying too much attention to the to the vocals honestly so i don't i wasn't really hearing that but uh well we'll hear it we'll hear it again hopefully um Anyway, this the uh, the next song is a song that I I know I'm sure you do too, and it's probably one of the biggest hits oh, that yeah. Alice Cooper had. Uh, it's a song called "I'm 18." So one of the things that immediately stood out to me there that I never really noticed before, but it's obvious now, is how clean the guitars sound. Mm -hmm. Like there's almost no distortion on them. And the distortion really is coming um, from Alice Cooper's voice. Yeah. No, actually, it's true. Uh, You go back to... uh you know, the, the 60s and 70s and where you think, well, that's where all the distorted guitar, and it was, but there were still a lot of clean tones, even in, mm-hmm. like, you know, some of the harder songs at the time. I yeah. mean, not everybody had to have their guitar sound like a buzzsaw, much right. like, you know, um, that you would hear in certainly metal coming along and mm-hmm. then again in um, a garage or something like that. And, yeah, not necessarily that I dislike that. I, I I don't dislike it, but it's nice to mix it up sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's interesting that um, like this is seen as like a big, like hard rock song. Yeah, and and but the the guitars are are basically just they're, they're great guitars and they sound great and yeah, they, they sound fit the record perfectly but it's just like oh i never i never maybe <laughs> they are perfect because i didn't notice it but it's just like oh i never you know the guitars are pretty there might be like a touch of overdrive on it just to give yeah. it a little bit more meat on it but uh, yeah at the most for the most part yeah it's very clean and clear and Mm-hmm. And even when he was singing, there's even a chorus uh, effect on the guitars. Yeah. Just, you know, as he's singing the verses, there's the the chorus and then, you know, it goes to the, to the chorus. Uh, right. You know, the chorus. Uh, yeah. That's a, a sound you more associate with like the 1980s in mm-hmm. a lot of cases, but yeah, it, it was around. Um, I don't think chorus were chorus pedals around at this point? Or were they doing that in the studio? It it, it it makes the guitar sound like it's double tracked or something like that. Yeah. That must be what I heard on the vocals. It almost sounded like a chorus on the vocals. It could or something be. like that. Yeah. So, the very know, glam sound. Yeah. It, I know it, they were. This song didn't have that. But no. the last one certainly did. Yeah. Because I know. Um, before there was chorus pedals for guitars, I know that they would do it in the studio and it's basically what chorus is. It's a very fast delay with, um, uh, uh, frequency sweep on the delay signal. Mm. So it sounds like, um, the, uh, the guitar is slightly out of tune, but it sounds like two guitars that are playing together rather than one. Yeah. 
So that's how uh, that's how the chorus effect is. It's same with flange. Flange is very similar to chorus, um, but flange has got it, it's got more of a tone adjusting adjustment on it. Whereas uh, yeah, chorus is basically straight up. What you're putting in is what it's replicating. Yeah, yeah, um, it's true, and I I'm certain now that that's what they put on vocals. Uh, yeah. especially on things like Rocky Horror Picture Show and you would hear it in like uh, Meatloaf or stuff like that. Yeah. Um and of course lots of glam rock. Mm-hmm. Um I think David Bowie used it um occasionally. He didn't always use it. Um I'm trying to think who else. Yeah, anyway, you get my idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it and it does give the vocals a very glamorous feel yeah that shiny exactly yeah yeah Yeah. that's and it was overused in the glitter on their faces yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly um the other thing i noticed about this song too is the uh harmonica i never really noticed that either but that was thrown in there too Mm. uh, which i thought that was pretty pretty interesting um Lyrically, the song, um, it's kind of, it's rudimentary, but then again, it's, uh, I, it, a lot of songs like that. And, and if you think about it, like stage productions, I mean, they're not mm-hmm. trying to like confuse the audience. Everything is very straightforward. Mm-hmm. So it fits that. So if yeah. he's doing like a stage show, um, he wants his music to sort of come across yeah but you have to put it in the context of 1971 too i mean now singing about you know the indulgence of youth i guess is cliche but it really wasn't then um maybe a little bit but not not well it definitely start like that's another thing that they did a lot in the 60s you know actually they kind of did it in the 50s if you think about some of like the rockabilly stuff a -hmm. little bit yeah if they were specific about teenagers i don't know about that but uh maybe occasionally um Mm -hmm. but yeah it would definitely be more of an underground thing it's not the sort of stuff they would necessarily find on the radio um yeah so uh, that's probably what was new yeah. Is it hit the radio as a hit? Yeah. Um, I saw, I, I don't remember where I saw it. Um, uh, it's, it's sounds really like, uh, neck beardy now, <laughs> but, but, uh, um, at, uh, it was, a, I think it was an interview with Bob Ezrin, the producer, and he was saying how, when he was first presented the song, he thought Alice Cooper was singing, I'm edgy, mm. but, uh, <laughs> but sing, but you know, a guy singing when uh, the vision of a guy singing, I'm edgy, you get a guy who's like an incel on Reddit or something. <laughs> yeah. He's an edge lord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm so hardcore. Yeah. I, I can, I, I can beat up your dad. Yeah. 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 Um, but he thought that was, that was a cool cause no one had ever sung anything like that before. It's like, I'm edgy and I like it, you know, which I think that would be a cool punk rock song. You know, singing about being edgy. Yeah. It would have to be somewhat tongue in cheek. Cause like you said, it's very, it's now it is. I don't yeah. think, it, it, you know, the seventies it wouldn't have been, but I think now it would be. It's yeah. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I could still see it coming out, but, but you would definitely have to not take it overly seriously. Cause you get mocked. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Anyway, the, uh, the next song uh, is called Long Way to Go. So let's get into that. Okay, there was a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it started off as more... Um, well, it really was kind of a punk rock song. Yeah. 
Um, and then the guitar solo, I like the, the music kind of dropped out and it was just the one guitar was just doing like muted strums while the guitar solo is happening. And then it went into like the bluesy thing with the piano. Well, it's a very like early rock and roll sort of thing, but, uh, a lot of like, again, uh, that's what sort of what punk was punk going or rock and roll going back to its roots. Mm -hmm. And, um, so a lot of punk actually has a lot of overlap with like, say a lot of fifties rock and roll and you can hear it in like glam Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, yeah, again, think of, uh, you know meatloaf and and uh, uh rocky horror picture show the songs are very almost like written in the 1950s yeah in a way yeah um and yeah this song's no different it's very definitely like a a 50s rocker it's almost like a uh what would i think about it? it's like a gene vincent thing or almost or uh, yeah or or uh, little like richard a, or something like that little richard yeah definitely has that energy mm-hmm. yeah yeah, no, I definitely, but with the, uh, the hard guitars and, and the, yeah. the, I could see, I can see like the Sex Pistols or something doing this song. Right. As well. The Sex yeah, maybe the Sex Pistols, um, they're a little bit, uh. Or maybe not the Sex Pistols, but a, like a British punk band, I can see taking this song on. Maybe, uh, take that on. I'm trying to think of which British band would take that on. It definitely sounds more like a sort of the New York Detroit sort of thing in my yeah. ears. Yeah. Um I'm not saying there wouldn't be a British punk band that would come along and do it. Mm-hmm. In fact there might have been, just not one yeah. we've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Very true. Remember, there's scenes of bands and we only really get to hear about top echelons of them. But I, I think so far this might be my favorite song. Um it's pretty good. Just just because there are like I I felt like it was getting a little it's it's hard to say because it's it's it was getting a little boring. I know it's only a 3 minute song, but it was starting to re- get repetitive and then they came in with that guitar solo you know like with where the music dropped out and they had the the just the guitar doing the other guitar doing the muted strums and I thought yeah. oh, okay that is interesting and then it kind of the slowed down a bit and was doing that bluesy thing with the piano it's like oh okay this is this is totally like you know different from how it started yeah and um so I, th- I thought that was really cool so it, it became I think because of that it's so far my favorite one on the album yeah it's a cool yeah. song yeah but uh Anyway, let's get into the next one. It's called uh, Black Juju. This is a long one. This is nine minutes and 11 seconds. Oh, the black ones are the licorice flavored ones. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're never as good as real licorice. But anyway, that's a digression. (laughs) Here's uh, Black Juju. was something yeah i, I actually really <laughs> like i love stuff like that so yeah that's like that one reminds me and that's another artist i had sort of glossed over when we were talking about um um artists who'd put on like really theatrical shows but this really sounded like arthur brown mm. to me it's got that sort of like it partly it's the organ that 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 made me really think of it is that combo organ doing like a really dark theme sort of thing mm-hmm. going on and then i'm thinking arthur brown and then as more as the song's going on the more i'm thinking arthur brown <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah yeah um i'm sure they were aware of him yeah um, um oh i think i'm pretty sure uh, alice cooper's mentioned him as a major influence yeah 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 that totally makes sense yeah um yeah. And, He's still um, going too. Arthur yeah. Brown. Um one of the things that uh I picked up on as well is um I think something that was influenced by this and and Arthur Brown too was Nick Cave. There was some mm. some elements that he used I think was in here as well. Mm-hmm. Um 
yeah, there's just that uh, a dark but also funny. Like it's it's done with a sense of humor. It's really dark, but it's also really funny at the same yes, time. It's sort and, of a right. You it's know. like that was awful. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've always liked stuff like that, like Tom Waits, and yeah. you know, it just that kind of like when I think when people, um, you know, people kind of are off put put off by stuff like that, and that's sort of a good barometer uh, to whether it's going to be interesting or not, or whether I'm going to like it. Sometimes, if if, if, if uh, you know. Um, normal people are saying oh that's that's awful i'm thinking yeah it's (laughs) awful (laughs) you're right it's awful awful wink wink awful (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um you know i i don't know much what i can say about the song itself i mean it's interesting yeah i don't i I can't really i'm gonna have to hear it again um as far as there isn't really well i guess there is a structure to it but it's not a conventional song structure um well it starts off with those like african drums sort of thing going on i mean it's just the guy on the toms but and and the uh and and the floor bass honestly Mm-hmm. Or he's like really dead into one of his toms or something like that, and he's really pounding yeah. on it. But uh, and then of course there's that high pitched organ that sort of comes in, which gives like sort of hints of almost like a, you know the Transylvanian kind of thing mm-hmm. going on in there. Um, yeah, but it also just sounds very like a Farfisa playing behind yeah. drums. Actually, if you listen to a lot of um, Afrobeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mostly just because those combo organs are what they were able to, you know, scrounge up, but they're used a lot in Afrobeat and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And they, it, they have this really interesting sound that sort of just blends with like the drums going on and the, it's just really cool actually. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another branch of, um, it, it did, it does have like connections to rock and roll and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's pretty cool. I like Afrobeat. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I, uh, I like the, uh, the dynamics in this song as well. Um, how it got like really quiet, almost to an uncomfortable level. Yeah. And I like that he knows that he's doing that. Yeah. Um, It's totally intentional. Well, this is the, this is the song I'm sure that they really would this is the song where they probably brought out things like the guillotine and and so he could, you know, concentrate on, you know, not getting his head cut off instead of trying to sing or something like that. So this song is, is it's the stage performance song. So for sure. Yeah. There was, this is, um, that just remind like I, this is totally off topic. Well, kind of, but I, I actually did see Alice Cooper a few years ago and, um, there, there's a song on the album "Welcome to My Nightmare" called "Cold Ethel," mm. and it's a, it's a, it, 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 it's about necrophilia. Yeah, and uh, there's a few songs like that. And but uh, he, um, uh, what the, when I at the show, he's uh, like dancing with like um, uh, just a, a like basically a dead body, like a doll, a dead body for that song. And mm. it's really, it was really funny the things he was doing with the doll. <laughs> Because it's is it like a stuffed doll, so it's all like flopping around. Of course, <laughs> so it's yeah. You know, <laughs> he's like dancing with it, and it's got his head back and things like that. Yeah, you know? I mean the uh, the headstones had a song that was very much about yeah, you know, right. And uh, I think went there was... down to a cemetery looking for love or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Went, had to dig her up, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know there was another obscure band. I don't remember what it was, but the song was called Janie's Tomb, and it's yeah. another one that's, I mean, yeah. they're out there. Yeah. And again, they're but, not meant to be taken seriously. If you take them seriously, you're not getting the point. The The line in Cold Ethel is, uh, 
uh, you're cool in bed. Well, she ought to be because Ethel's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, uh, is it? Speaking of uh, dead bodies, uh, the next song is called Is It My Body? Um, so let's get into that. It's really up to you. Okay, cool. That one had a really cool groove to it. Yeah. That's I like that. Quite short. Yeah. Uh, it didn't have to be very long. I, just a really great groove. Um, yeah, I love those bendy guitars. It mm-hmm. sounds really cool. One thing that I've always liked about Alice Cooper is his voice. And he's got that really gritty, like, dirty rock and roll voice. Yeah. Um, I always wonder how he sings like that. Because I, when I try to do it, I always lose my voice and my throat hurts. <laughs> I don't know how he does it for two hours at a, in a show or something. But um, I've always liked that his voice. And I've always liked singers that sing like that. I don't like singers that sing really clean. I, I always like the, it sort of the depends. distorted, you know. Some singers can really sing clean. Um, that's true, yeah. Like your... Uh, 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 Freddie Mercury's and, and but even he I, had a little bit of grit to it. Sometimes like he had some, you know. Yeah, he's got an interesting voice for sure, but he certainly knew how to use it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's true. It's sometimes a little bit of texture on a voice is really nice. Sometimes. Um, yeah. Especially in in rock and roll and 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 it's you know subsidiaries. <laughs> yeah. You said uh, the yeah you were you were saying something about the guitars on this song and I agree I mean the guitars bendy. are really uh, the bendy very bendy guitars, um, yeah. yeah and and just a you know two and a half minute song that it's just it it's it didn't feel like it uh, was too short it felt it it felt like it was exactly the right length it needed to be, you know, hmm. so yeah. I mean, I would have liked another verse, but it, yeah, it's good, <laughs> but, but it still works. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't really have much else to say about it unless you want. Yeah. It, it, I thought that they were like going to go into something else, but no, the song was mm-hmm. sort of like it, it, it ended kind of... a little bit quicker than I expected it to, mm. but yeah. you know, that still really liked it. Fair so. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so the uh, the next song is called uh, Hallowed Be My Name. Another short one. Another short one. That's, um, that's a good Halloween song, I think. Yeah, it is a pretty good one. Oh, there's yeah. a few good ones on here that that make good, but this, of course, is Alice Cooper. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I, you could pretty much play his whole discography at a Halloween party and get away. Probably. With it. <laughs> um, yeah, that song had a real. It honestly sounds like a late '60s thing to me. Yeah. Um, I wonder. If yeah, a little more psychedelic. Yeah, quite a bit actually. But that, that's kind of where he started. I mean, he yeah. started. Um, his first few bands were like a like garage rock bands. I mean, he's from Michigan, so mm-hmm. you know yep. Detroit garage rock scene was you know basically in his backyard. So yeah, he's hanging around with like um, uh, oh my god, names <laughs> like the Stooges. Yeah, the Stooges and um, Bob Seger. Yeah. Um, uh, although I don't know if he's actually. F- no, I'm completely wrong. I for some reason I thought he was from Michigan. He's from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, so I I don't know where I got the idea that he was from Michigan from. Hmm. But I'm sure he was around that scene though. That I think so because he really does like he picked up a lot of like sounds of that scene in a lot of ways. He sounds more of that ilk than 
of a, like uh i don't know uh an la scene or something like that mm-hmm. although the theatrics is definitely an la thing for sure yeah. um no that's yeah he um i'm just reading his his wikipedia here he's he's from um so he uh he's he he's from um phoenix arizona but in the early days of the band moved to pontiac michigan yeah it makes sense there you um go. so so yeah so he uh i guess he was aware of the detroit scene of course and so you know he moved out there to kind of be a part of it mm. so that that makes total sense but he's probably yeah because he, he's probably like he's probably i know for a fact or not for a fact but i'm get, i get the impression that he's like us where he's like a total music geek and he would have been aware of the detroit scene even if it wasn't popular you know isn't in his high school he would have been yeah he, he would have been he would have been hip to the scene i guess <laughs> yeah he was yeah and i was gonna say well actually he's more like us than you real i know he's a car guy <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um, talking about the cars he, he's like i've got a magazine around somewhere where he's actually talking about the cars he used to own yeah. um and it's a car mag um uh what but was he, i gonna say i was gonna oh um i was thinking about how he was more in line with like uh the detroit scene than say the la scene but i did notice like this song in particular sounds a lot like the music machine and mm-hmm. they were an la band yeah so yeah there's you know there's cross sections yeah but i i I don't know if phoenix arizona is i I don't know how close it is to la i don't well it's closer to la than michigan fair enough yeah so i'm not that uh up on american geography i don't really i have a vague idea of where these places are but i don't really know the proximity to i mean arizona is like right smack dab next to california so yeah i think it is it's right below utah yeah because there's that there there's that point um i've seen it in a movie or something where it's where four states cross over and Mm -hmm. you can you can hop to from state to state to state right like there's like utah colorado arizona and nevada i think or something and i know nevada is right next to california so it's all in the same western part of the Nevada. Yeah. Maybe it's Nevada that I was thinking of. Yeah, I think maybe Arizona is a little bit before. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can't yeah. really remember. I know it's in those desert states. So yeah, so. I know. Uh, I think the Grand Canyon is in Arizona. Yes. Anyway, that's that's your geography lesson for the for the day. <laughs> We're not geography teachers. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a geographist. No, I I've got a pretty good idea of where things are located, though it's not yeah. always one hundred percent. I have I always have a vague idea of yeah of where things are. Anyway, uh, moving on to the next one. Uh, the next song is called Second Coming. That's uh, that was cool. I like the the end with the the like kind of the military drums. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's another one that's like uh, in in minor keys and 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 stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to really say about it. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's a throwaway song, but it's yeah. just kind of you know it just it feels like it's part of the part of the album yeah you know it's just kind of it feels maybe a bit like a transition song and it, and maybe it's just because it leads into the next one yeah so. i think it is yeah. a transition yeah. song. it's another really short one yeah um well it was about three oh it's three minutes but still it's fairly short yeah i think it's probably because the last minute was that instrumental part yeah that's why it felt so short so yeah, with yeah. the piano going. Yeah. 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 Um yeah, I don't really have much <laughs> much else to say about it. Um 
and but I'm curious about how it transitions to the next one. Um, so uh, let's listen to the next one. Right, it's called uh, "The Ballad of Dwight Fry." So it seems like the last three songs are sort of connected to each other, mm-hmm. almost in the um, sort of like the medley on uh, Abbey Road kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of, I guess it's like <clears throat> a three act play or something like that. This was definitely more, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, definitely more of a uh, theatrical thing, kind of like the Black Juju song. Um yeah. Similar in, in structure and, and things like that. I noticed a lot of like uh, uh, Lou Reed or um, Velvet Underground influence in that one. Yeah. And of course, a little more Music Machine as well. It mm-hmm. just sort of leaked through. Yeah, I'm really liking his uh, references um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, you know, I'd only heard the the stuff that hit the radio, but yeah, it's good to sit down and listen to a full album of his because there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. It's a very they're a very cool band. Mhm. Yeah. I actually want to take a minute to uh talk about the band cuz I mean, um they're like they're playing really well here and um I I I'm curious what uh at what point they broke up and it became Alice Cooper, the just, you know, the solo artist. Oh, I think they're well into the seventies. Hmm. Yeah. I think it, it wasn't until 75 that they kind of disbanded and, uh, on uh, welcome to my nightmare. Um, oh, that's, uh, that's still, that's a good half decade of, of albums and, and material. Yeah. And a lot of hits came from that area era. Yeah. It's not like much changed, um, as far as like marketing or, or, or be, or or, or recognizability changed. I think that was entirely his point. It's just like, well, if I take the name Alice Cooper, I can continue on with this thing that I'm having a blast doing. Yeah. And he has. Yeah. And he was always like the face of the band. Like he was, you know, so it, it makes sense. Exactly. I, I just wonder if there was any, I don't know much about the the band or anything. I'm just curious if there was any legal ramifications from doing that or not. Probably but, not. Yeah. It might not have even been like a, a, a like a, uh, like a, a dispute or something like that. It's possible they just went their own ways. Yeah. Um, it's happened sometimes. Well, it happens quite a bit. Yeah. I know it happened with, um, well, uh, an, an example is Matt Mays and El right. Torpedo. They, I think one guy owned the name El Torpedo and he left, so it just became Matt Mays. Right. But it was still basically the same band right. that he plays with all the time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Band politics. <laughs> It's uh, the legalities and 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 uh, um, copyright issues and and uh, you know um, intellectual property, yeah, and stuff like that. It yeah. it always messes things up in a lot yeah. of ways. People try their best to navigate it to you know keep it fun, but it really doesn't make things fun. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> No, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's like we've said before, it's, it's one of the hardest things in the world keeping, it's one of the hardest things to get a band together. It's almost impossible to to keep keep a band together. Right. So, yeah. Yep. Indeed. Yep. On that happy note, we've arrived at the final song on the album. And it's called Sun Arise. Filling up the hollow, sunrise. Filling up the hollow, sunrise. Filling up the hollow, bringing back the warmth to the ground. Cool. 
cool. I actually like that. Um, I it probably works a little better live as a chant to get the the audience right. going. Yeah, but um, I know I think I like it because it ends it ends the album on a on a like a more positive note, I guess. Um, it just has that uplifting kind of slow build and right. that I like, you know. But it still sounds like it still like sonically fits the rest of the album. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I was going to mention as I was listening to that song is each song on this album kind of has its own thing going on, but yeah. none of the songs feel out of place. Right. You know. Yeah. It's it's like each song is very distinct from the next, but it they all fit together. Right. Um, which is uh, it's a hard balance to do because you you. <laughs> Obviously, if you're putting an album, especially an album like this, where it, it's not, I don't, I wouldn't say this is a concept album, but it has, I guess, a loose theme to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to run into the issue of having every song sound the same, but you also don't want the sound, songs to be so different from each other that it doesn't make sense or it doesn't right. work. Um, and I think this album pulls it off really well of just striking that balance between the two. Yeah, that's exact. That's a good way to put it. Um, weird noises again. Anyway, um, yeah, when you when when you can like play that ba- balance with uh, having the, uh, it, it's good not to sound like you. You still need to sound like your band. Um, if you come out sounding like completely different bands, I mean, I guess, I don't know, could some would make that work. I mean, it would be interesting to watch a band sort of transform into completely different bands. But uh, yeah, sonically, it doesn't fit. It, it comes off as just sort of confusing. Yeah, it's not something a lot of bands can do. Um, Sloan was one of those bands that could do that. Mm-hmm. They, they do that really well. Where the sound, they, they always sound like them, but the sound, songs are always so very distinct. You can usually yeah. figure out which one of them wrote it. Yeah. I mean, not only because one of them singing it, but just the styles, like each one of them has like a very different approach to writing and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So. Yeah. Yeah. When, um, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the advantage that that band has that most bands don't is they have very, Four very distinct and and really good songwriters. Right. Um, many, and most bands all don't have instrumentalists. Yeah. yeah. I saw. I, this is a totally a tangent, but I saw a comment once about how um, Andrew Scott. Someone said, "Well, he doesn't like when a drummer plays like Dave Grohl when he plays guitar. Right. He kind of approaches the guitar very rhythmically, and I think it's because he's a has a lot of experience as a drummer." And when he goes, approaches the guitar, I've seen him talk about it. He approaches the guitar like the drummer, like the, the lower strings are like the kicks and like the Mm. kick drum. And then the higher strings are like the snares and the cymbals. And I saw a comment about uh, how Andrew Scott from Sloan doesn't play guitar like a drummer. And I thought about it and I pointed out, well, no, he doesn't play guitar like a drummer but he kind of plays the drums like a guitar player Mm. because he kind of has that keith moon kind of spontaneous right thing going on with him you know especially if you listen to the drums on money city maniacs he's like doing all kinds of stuff like like keith moon he's playing uh all of his drums on kind of like a chord in a lot of ways Yeah. yeah so he's kind of approaching the drums like a guitar player which is a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, I know we just way got off our tangent here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I may or may not edit that out yeah. because we're, it's we're, too... We're talking about Alice Cooper and suddenly, yeah. oh, they're talking about it's Sloan. Canadian alternative <laughs> rock. But we do that. We do that <laughs> yeah. all the time, yeah. honestly. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, this album, I really like this album. Um, I... Uh, I hadn't heard the, the only song I heard from this before was, uh, 18. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this album. Yeah. This one fits right in with the, the stuff that I, it just fits in with like my playlist stuff. 
It's just yeah. it it slots right in. It's it's got that psychedelic edge to it. It's got that um proto metal, proto punk mm-hmm. um elements to it. It's just it slots right into the stuff that's already like on my rotation. I, I should definitely pay more attention to uh, yeah. some of the Alice Cooper stuff, especially the early stuff. I'm really interested in those uh, two earlier albums because yeah. it sounds like they actually did come out of the 60s. Um, so one of, yeah, so just a side, one of the interesting things about the first two albums, I think, I could be totally wrong. Let me just check to make sure. I think they were produced by Frank Zappa. Hmm. Um, I know he's no, okay, so no, there were. Okay, no, I'm wrong. He, okay. Oh, so Frank Zappa signed Alice Cooper to his record label. Okay, gotcha. There you go. Right. Yeah. So, but uh, no, he he didn't produce them. Um, but no, there is a connect. There's definitely a connection to Frank Zappa there. Frank Zappa. I mean, you know, there's another guy that's maybe not as theatrical but he definitely has the same i guess sense of humor in his songwriting right. as alice cooper so i think they would they probably got along really well yeah <laughs> so, probably yeah yeah cool well um i don't uh have anything else to say about this album other than uh, i'm glad i listened to it right um any final thoughts uh not really. Oh, Alice Cooper. Uh, two thumbs up. Or... Two thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a rating system. No, we, we don't really. Maybe, maybe, I don't. I don't think we need one. No. <laughs> um. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, listening. If you made it this far, uh, you can check us out at polyphonicpress.com and drop us a line at polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com. And if you want to help out and support the show, you can do that at uh, buymeacoffee.com slash polyphonicpress. And uh, that's about it. Uh, I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. Take it easy. You have been listening to Polyphonic Press. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Polyphonic Press. Check out the website, polyphonicpress.com. Feel free to drop us a line at polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com. And finally, you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress.